It's a Thursday edition of the Better Each Day podcast radio show, and here's the reason. It's the time of the season. The zombies are in town live at the historic Everett Theatre tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Tickets are still available. And next week, Saturday, July 23rd, I'll be at Black Lab Gallery and Bar in Everett, only two blocks away from the zombie show the week prior, so you can hang out at the park for a week and just walk to my show. Here's a conversation from last September with Colin Blundstone, the voice of the Zombies' number one hit, Time of the Season. So, Bill Murray the K, we have Colin Blundstone from the Zombies. What do you think? Flushing animals, what do you want to know? What do you want to hear? If you call me up at 555-2160 and say you want to hear anything but the Rettles, I'm going to come looking for you. I mean it, because it's Rettles Day. They're going to be here tomorrow talking about their trousers. It's a big, big day here in Flushing. Let's give them a big round of applause. I know I can't hear you, but I know I can pick up what you're saying, baby. The scene is here in Flushing. The whole world's eyes are on Flushing because the Prefab Four are coming to town tomorrow to talk about their trousers. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Better Each Day podcast radio show with Bruce Hilliard. Today and every day, reaching out for innovative ideas in every way. Today's show is brought to you by your future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. Hello, this is Bruce. Hi, it's Colin Blunstone here, Bruce. Hey, Colin, how are you doing? Yeah, good, good. How are you doing? I'm good. Apparently, you've got a live stream thing going on coming up here on September 18th. That's right. A world tour in one night, September the 18th, from Studio 2 Abbey Road. So uh, we're really looking forward to it. We haven't played live in a long time, but the zombies are going back to Abbey Road where... We first recorded in 1967 when we recorded our album Odyssey and Oracle. So it, it's going to be a wonderful celebration to get back there and uh, amongst all that history. And, and of course, so many personally, so many memories for us. Yeah, I work out at a gym every morning and I, I tell them about who I'm going to be talking to on the podcast. And I said, yeah, it's, uh, it's calling from the zombies. And I got... I love the zombies. Now, these are people in their 40s, late 30s and 40s. And I was like, you know about the zombies? And yeah, people still listen to them. They're good songs. They uh, survived the test of time. So I think it's going to be kind of cool, I think, to get back together with these guys and do that. What do you think? Well, absolutely. Uh, it's one of the things that's really gratifying when we tour is that we have a very mixed audience. You know, we, we have teenagers and 20-year-olds in the audience. And of course, we've got... Um, super fans who've been with us from the beginning, from our first record in 1964. And it's really great to see this age mix in the audience. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting for us because we're one of the bands that, yeah, we love to play our, our old hits. That, uh, that, that I, I love to play those tunes, but we all love to play new songs as well. So we write and record new songs. And, and so it's, it's really great for us to see that we've got this mixed ages of an audience out there. They haven't just come because uh, She's Not There or Time of the Season was a big hit when they were 18 or in their 20s. They've come because they've, they've heard our later work because we've kept recording and when we play new songs to an audience, 
we usually get as good a response with those new songs as we do with the classic hits. So that's cool. I think touring is just a wonderful thing. It's 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 what keeps us going. We we love to tour, and, and, and as soon as we can get back to some kind of touring touring normality, the better. We'll we'll all be we'll all be happy once we can get back on the road. It's the time of the season When love runs high In this time, give it to me easy And let me try with pleasured hands To take you in the sun To promise lands To show you everyone What's your, What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He rich. Is he rich like me? Has he taken any time? Any time to show to show you what you need to live? Tell it to me slowly. Tell you why? I really want to know. so cool you're staying young that's a cool thing well i think i you know to a degree i was i'm probably not the best judge to judge myself but i think to a degree being on the road does give you a, a, a useful edge you know i mean yeah. you're meeting young people all the time and and you can you know you can get off on their energy and it's it's infectious yeah, yeah. when you're working with positive young, energized people. It's infectious, and so you feel the same way. All right, Colin, this is always fun, too. We're going to step in the time machine. You guys started the band when you were, like, 15 or something, right? That's right, yeah. What was that like? What was going on? Did you have any idea? Well, it was very interesting. I mean, so much of it's just chance. You know, I managed... My, my parents bought me a guitar when I was about 12. So I was, I was re- it was, wasn't easy for them, so I was very, very lucky. And then I went to a school where 
we sat in alphabetical order. This is all part of how I got into the zombies, I promise you. Mm-hmm. I sat next to a guy called Paul Arnold, who lived in the next street to a guy called Rod Argent. There's no way I could have met Rod Argent because I didn't go to the same school as him, I didn't live in the same town as him. But Rod Argent wanted to start a band. So he asked his neighbor, Paul Arnold, if he wanted to be in the band. And I happened to sit next door to this guy, Paul Arnold, at school. And he just said to me as a chance thing one day, he said, you, you've got a guitar, haven't you? And I, I said, yeah. And he said, do you want to be in a band? And that was my audition for the zombies. That, <laughs> you know, it was, it was such a chance thing. And we got together. I think we rehearsed. We used to rehearse on Sundays. It was the only time we could all get together. And uh, we rehearsed for about a year before we played our first little small gig in a, in a youth club, you know, to other 15-year-old people. And uh, it was a real thrill to play that first... I, I wouldn't call it a concert. It was like a dance. You know, people were dancing. And, and it was a real thrill. And we gradually built up a local following over the next... Uh, three or four years and, and we won a big rock competition which led to a contract with uh, Decca Records and Rod came up with this song She's Not There I had no idea he could write songs he came up with this song She's Not There for that session at Decca uh, we recorded it and it was a hit immediately in the UK and it took a few more months for it to be a hit in the US but we were off and running we, we started the band when we were 15 we recorded She's not there when we were 18. We were very, very young. Um, suddenly, we were a professional band touring the world. And most importantly, we came to America, the home of rock and roll, the blues, and jazz. It's where all British musicians want to work in America and, and just absorb some of that history of the wonderful music that's come out of America. So you were on Marie the K. That was one of the big, the big rock shows in the United States. There was Hullabaloo and uh, where the action is and a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, Marie the K was an East Coast thing. What was that like? You must have met a whole bunch of people that you already well, knew. It was, it was fascinating for us. Um, we arrived in America uh, the Christmas of 64, and the show started at the Brooklyn Fox. It, I think it ran for 10 days at the Brooklyn Fox, and it actually opened on Christmas Day. And we would do, like, eight shows a day, but you did a really short spot, and there would be 14 or 15 acts on the bill, all just doing two or three uh, numbers. But it was great because it was Christmas, and everyone was away from home over Christmas. There was a great camaraderie backstage. So it, it was a great introduction for us into America and, and into... Uh, rock and roll in America because, as I said, there was just this great camaraderie backstage. It was uh, Patti LaBelle, uh, the Shangri-Las, Dionne Warwick, um, Chuck Jackson, the, um, the Nashville teens were there from from the UK. But there were uh, literally 14 or 15 acts. They're, they're the ones that I remember off the top of my head. So it was a great experience for us. And we had to follow Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells as they were then. An absolutely fantastic um, act. And, and we had to follow them. And to say that we were a little bit apprehensive <laughs> would be uh, a, a huge understatement. But, but it was a baptism of fire. And... I mean, Patti LaBelle is just sensational, uh, um, but 
we managed to to get on there and and you know people really enjoyed what we were doing so it was a baptism of fire but we were off and running and of course we've been coming backwards and forwards to the states ever since and in this incarnation of the zombies we nearly always until uh, the virus hit we would nearly always uh, tour in the states three times a year it wasn't planned that way but it's just it's a it's a favorite destination for us and it it just happens that we tour in the states a lot so from 1964 until now we've been regular visitors to your shores we love you over here it's funny the story about the alphabetical thing though isn't that bizarre yeah it's re- i think so much is chance i mean even <laughs> this incarnation of the zombies it started in around um 1999, and I had a solo band, so there was nothing to do with the zombies. I had a solo band, and the keyboard player in the band, great bloke, he was called Bill Worrell, and he had just one weakness, that if anyone asked him to play at a, a gig where he, when they wanted him to play his own songs, so that was the important thing, they wanted to hear his own songs, he would just go off and play and leave me with no keyboard player. And it got quite scary because I did a couple of shows with, with pick-up keyboard players who didn't really know the set. And it, it, can, get, it can get quite worrying when people don't know, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next. So on an off chance, because that keyboard player used to just go off and leave me without, it, without um, anyone to play keyboards, I phoned Rod Argent and I said, I don't know if you'd be into doing this, but I've got six dates remaining on this tour would you be interested in coming out and, and playing those six dates? And he said, yeah, I will. But I only want to play those six dates. That's enough for me. I don't want to get back on the road. So that was in 1999. He only wanted to do six dates. And here we are still playing in 2021. It's just chance. Well, no one told me she lied Well no one told me about her How many people cried But it's too late to say you're sorry How would I know Why should I care Please don't bother trying to find her She's not there Well let me tell you about the way she looked The way she had to
should I care? Please don't bother trying to find her. She's not there. Well, let me tell you about the way she looked, the way she acted, the color of her hair. Her voice was soft and cool, her eyes were clear and bright, but she's not there. But how do you end up with a, a band name that starts with a Z after all that? Who came up with the name? Well, you know, I was telling you that I sat next to a guy called Paul Arnold at school, alphabetically. He came up with the name. We tried a couple of names before. It's very important to get a memorable name as a band, but it's it's almost a bit embarrassing to sit sit around trying to think of names, you know. And um, (laughs) to be honest with you, we were the Mustangs for about a week, (laughs) and we were the Sundowners for about a week. (laughs) <laughs> and then Paul Arnold came up with the idea of the zombies. And to be honest, I didn't know what a zombie was. But the other guys all loved it. The other guys loved it. And it was memorable, you know. And so um, it stuck. I-, I think the other guys all loved it a bit more than I did. I thought it was a little strange. <laughs> That's and, cool. but, but it is memorable. There was no zombie culture back in those days. There were no zombie films, right. no zombie magazines. It was a little bit out there. And, um, <laughs> but we were stuck with it. And Paul Arnold, incidentally, the, the guy who thought of the name, he's the only one who, who left the band. He wanted to be a doctor. And so he had to study really hard, and he couldn't commit to the rehearsals and, 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 and the shows that we were doing because of studying so hard. And he, uh, he left, and Chris White took his place, and, and Paul Arnold went on to be a doctor, and he, now, he lives in Edmonton in Canada. And when we go up there, he always comes to see us. And he was uh, the founding bass player in the Zombies. I talked to uh, the lead guitar player from Jethro Tull and asked how they came up with the name. I knew more about it than he did. He, really, he wasn't really paying any attention. <laughs> they were playing <laughs> clubs, but they changed the name every time they played somewhere. And that just happened to be the name they were using the night they got popular, I guess. I don't know. It can happen like that. You know, so much is... It's when you, when you look back, you think these really important things happened, like the name Jethro Tull or the name The Zombies. But, but that's looking back. It's, a, it's kind of hindsight, isn't it? You know, at the time, it's quite a casual conversation. And what, what are we calling ourselves tonight? Oh, yeah, well... We're going to be the zombies tonight. And then it sticks, and you're the zombies for the next 60 years. <laughs> it's a great name. The name that it kills, is weird, isn't it? The name that kills me for a rock band or any band or anything, the Beatles. If you went to a meeting and the, you know, the band's trying to come up with a name, and you say, I don't, let's call it the Beatles, but we'll spell it with B-E-A-T. And they'd go, that's a really stupid name. I don't like it. You know what? You're the first DJ that's ever said that, because Rod and I Rod Arjun and I talk about that every so often, but it's not a great name. But the thing is that after a while, you don't think about what the name means. You just think the wonderful Beatles music, yeah. their whole repertoire is just absolutely breathtaking. And you don't analyze the name anymore. And obviously, they're probably the biggest band in the world, but uh, it happens with other bands as well. You don't analyze the name after a while. You just associate that name with their music. But I completely agree with you. It's yeah, not yeah. a great name. The Beatles is not a great name. So when you were going to record in Abbey Road Studios, the first thing you probably thought of was, that's where the Beatles record, right? Well, absolutely. In 1967, they just finished Sgt. Pepper, 
about two days before we went into Abbey Road to record Odyssey and Oracle. We literally just missed them. Um, they mostly recorded in Studio 2, and we mostly recorded in Studio 3. But John Lennon's Mellotron, which is a, a, a keyboard instrument that yeah. plays sampled sounds. It's got a very distinctive sound. John Lennon has left his Mellotron in the studio that we were recording in. So if you listen to Odyssey and Oracle, you'll hear John Lennon's Mellotron all over that album. It's, again, it comes back to chance. It just happened to be there. And, and also, personally, I was really thrilled that there were lots of percussion instruments lying around on the floor, and we knew that the last people in that studio were the Beatles, and we were huge Beatles fans. So it was a very special moment to walk into Abbey Road and realize that the last people who were there before us were the Beatles. I just wish we'd been there two days earlier, and then we would have got a chance to say hello to them. As I, I've never met them, but I'm just, so I'm just a fan as far as the Beatles are concerned. Yeah, but it was Sergeant Pepper's, so the studio was still glowing with magic or something. I know, and we got the same engineers. We really, really benefited oh, wow. from timing. We got uh, Jeff Emmerich and Peter Vince oh, yeah. worked on Sergeant Pepper, and they also worked on Odyssey and Oracle. So all the wonderful techno technological advances that they've made for Sergeant Pepper... We inherited all of that. Um, so we were just very fortunate to have been there at that time because, you know, the Beach Boys were recording on an eight-track machine. Until then, people only recorded on four-track machines. The, Beatles, the Beach Boys were recording on an eight-track machine, and the, the Beatles pressured the Abbey Road boffins. You know, the, they have a, a scientist there that work on all, on all the technical stuff all the time. And they said, listen, we need an 8-track machine. And uh, the boffin said, there is no 8-track machine in the UK. But what they managed to do was to sort of put two 4-track machines together. And in doing that, they lost one track. So it's, in effect, you had seven tracks. So for the first time, we could overdub harmonies and we could overdub a second keyboard on a track because until then, you had to record pretty much live. Yeah. You only had four tracks. So we were, we were very lucky to be on Abbey Road at that time working with those engineers who'd just been working on Sergeant Pepper. And if she should tell you, come closer She tells you with a charm Tell her no, 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 no
talk to you all day, Colin, but it's a short show, so so I'd, have, I'd edit everything out. How do they go about listening to this? Okay, well, uh, the, the, the two sites they can go to, um, it's, the program is being put together by a company called Veeps. V for victory, E-E, P for Peter, S for sugar. So you can go to thezombies.veeps.com or you can go to the Zombies Music, and that will that will lead you to where you can get tickets for our world tour in one night, September the 18th from Abbey Road. Okay, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> That's crazy. I get, it makes me laugh. I can't help saying it. <laughs> the 15-year-old Colin to doing a live stream internationally, all in one breath. I know. It's a bit of a stretch. If you'd have told me at 15, I would have thought you were insane. But here we are. That's life. Hiya, Rod Argent here. And Colin Blonstone from The Zombies. We're coming to you actually from my studio, where we've been working on material for a new Zombies album, and we're really excited about what we've got. But as much as we love recording, we can't tell you how much we actually miss performing live for our fans. That's why we're so excited to announce the Zombies will play one concert this year and for the first time ever perform for all our fans across the globe. On September the 18th we'll be streaming a full concert from Abbey Road in London, the very same studio where we recorded our album Odyssey and Oracle over 50 years ago. Uh, a small aside here uh, and that is that the person who designed so much of the acoustic work at Abbey Road designed the acoustic quality of this studio as well that we're coming to you from so i'm really uh, excited about that too but um tickets can be purchased from the zombies.veeps.com and if you happen to miss the broadcast the concert will be available to watch and re-watch for two weeks afterwards we're also offering a special q a session after the concert where we'll sit down for a virtual chat with renowned rock journalist david frick as well as taking a few surprise questions from some fellow musicians. Buy your ticket in advance and you can send in a question for our consideration. We're going to be including, of course, lots of Zombies classics, but also some brand new songs that we're very excited about from our brand new album uh, that we're currently recording. We really hope that you can join us on September the 18th. So cool. All right. Well, you take care, my friend. It was great to talk to you. Great to talk to you too, Bruce. All the very best. And, and good luck with uh, your ex-wife this evening. Yeah, I appreciate that, Claude. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, mate. All the best. Cheers. Make a better stay in our baby. to the Better Each Day podcast radio show with Bruce Hilliard. We'll be back with a new horizon, but until then, honor the future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. And we're all just trying to make the next day a bit better. Should I try to hide 
the way I feel inside my heart for you. Would you say that you would try to love me too? In your mind, could you ever be really close to me? I can tell the way you smile. If I feel that I could be certain, then I would say the things I want to say tonight.